Hi everybody, it's your main man Andy Gillard here. Just letting you know we were recording during something of a downpour. Unfortunately there is a little bit of background noise in past but we have done our best to clear that up. And please make sure you stick around after the credits have rolled because there is a post-credit sequence between myself and Stu where we discuss the Fast 9 film. Just to warn you, it does get a little bit spoilery but nothing more than they were spoiled by the trailer. On with the show. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is splendid as always. It really is coming home. One day to go, one day to go. Hello everyone. So I think let's just jump straight into the news. Uh, There's a fair bit to be plowing through once again. But let me take you all the way back before the world nearly ended in a pandemic. Um, it was a much simpler time. It was February 2019. Steven Spielberg was not impressed that Netflix's Roma was Oscar nominated for Best Picture. Reportedly, he tried to get the Academy to change its eligibility requirements so that streaming services would not be for their consideration. Fast forward to June 2021 and guess which director has signed a deal with Netflix? <laughs> That's right, Steven Spielberg is the latest name to pen a multi-film deal with the streaming mega-giants. This this feels like something of a watershed moment. Like a lot of the directors who've worked with Netflix and Prime, they've had some kind of indie sensibilities about them, Mm. whereas that's that's never been Spielberg's bag. I'm I'm really excited to see whether or not he's going to go indie or whether or not Netflix are going to go balls-to-the-wall blockbuster style gentlemen what do we think about this deal it is it's the one that's going to tip everything because if even if people who don't know anything about film know who steven spielberg is mm. it's the one if you say anything you know i used to be the same i used to be the one that when you say favorite director i'd say spielberg just because it was the only one i knew um but you look at his films and the vast majority are great in their own spielberg way He's definitely got a kind of tone to things, but yeah, he's a, it, it's. I know you you hate him anyway, but it's a little dig <laughs> um, straight off the bat. But it is it's a it's a massive coup from big just because of his name recognition alone, more than anything else. Mm. Matt, what are you thinking about this one? So, I personally am excited because I'm of you know of the age like you guys where Steven Spielberg films meant something, but are the 18 to 25 year olds of this world, you know, Steven Spielberg is very much in the same vein as when music videos mattered and when um, albums were judged on how many they're sold as physical copies, not as downloads. The world has moved on from Steven Spielberg and now you have Zack Snyder and now you have other directors that are the new sexy in thing. And I don't know if the, the, the world still has a place for Steven Spielberg as the major name, because I don't think the younger generation will care as much about like his legacy. So I think it's going to be interesting for him, really, to see actually what he brings to Netflix. I mean, budget will not be an issue. We know that from 
the money that Netflix and Amazon Prime have ploughed into their productions. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see where he goes with it. I'm just not entirely convinced that the the world wants Steven Spielberg quite as much as Netflix wants Steven Spielberg. I think with that, though, and you said the usual target audience. I don't think that is Netflix anymore, especially after the last year, year and a half, where Netflix is almost almost like, oh, it's like, like in the um, early night. You wouldn't remember this because you were a, a small fetus. Um, <laughs> but uh, when people used to talk about, oh, he's playing on his Nintendo, which they, mm. they just meant all video games of any type. Netflix is kind of like, oh, it's on Netflix as any kind of streaming service for a certain mm. people over a certain mm. age. And the sheer amount of people who have it now, I think even my dad, I mean, he, he can barely work it that well when he's like only 64, but he still watches Netflix. He doesn't watch Prime or any of the others because it's not mm. Netflix and, and everyone's got a Netflix button on the remote and a, a TV from the last four years. So I think it's more... It's more out there than people think. Mm, potentially, potentially. Mm. I think you made a good point there, though, Matt. I'm just looking at um, Spielberg's last 10 films or so over the last decade. The Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, Ready Player One, and West Side Story is due out uh, this winter. And whilst those are films that, the Academy seemed to enjoy. They didn't quite tick a lot of boxes um, when it came to getting mm-hmm. butts in seats. Like Lincoln wasn't a massive box office yep. draw. The BFG was kind of reviled because most people love the original animated show. So I, maybe I think it's a little bit of Netflix using Spielberg's cachet and Spielberg using Netflix's forward thinking mm-hmm. approach to the, the movie industry. And it's going to be beneficial for both, possibly. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's mutually beneficial completely. And speaking of Netflix, we recently got our first show to come out of their deal with Miller World. Uh, that would be Mark Miller's independent label, the creator of Kick-Ass. Um, he did Jupiter's Legacy. Um, he did the original comic book and then it was adapted to the small screen. But apparently it's already been canned. So it's going to be a one season wonder. I've read very mixed reviews on this show. Um, like, I was quite interested in seeing it, but, like, having now read about it, I'm not sure I'm going to bother, to be honest. Have either of you two watched it yet? What is it? It is... Oh, basically, it is Invincible. It is oh, that okay. type of show where it's a world full of super-powered people. Um, and it's to do with the old guard moving out and the younger guys were coming through. I've read the first six books, first comic books that came out, but I haven't picked up uh, any other one since, so I don't really know a lot more about it after that. Uh, But that's always been my problem with Miller, is that, like I just said, it's a poor man's invincible, and everything he does sort of feels like something else, like it's already being done. Mm. I've got it on my... I'm gonna watch this, but the Euros is on. So if if it wasn't for, <laughs> if the Euros wasn't on every single day, then I would have watched it. It it's like the season's over. It, there's so much time. Mm. These kind of things you kind of play through in in a couple of nights, but I just ain't got around to it yet. I, I will. I definitely will though because I am interested in it. But it, now you remind me what it actually is. 
But I would like when I, I went on um, the old Netflix to uh, the watch again area to what, see what I've actually watched for a feature coming up in a bit. Um, and there's so many new things on there. And I was just clicking on like, add, add to list, add to list. But yeah, this is going to take a while. <laughs> Matt, have you got round to Jupiter's Legacy? Is it something you're even interested in? Yeah, so I saw the trailer and I thought this looks this looks interesting. But I remember TK telling me that he watched it and it was like Fredo in The Godfather. It betrayed him at the end. He said it was like a really terrible ending. I think it was. Oh, okay. He, he watched that and Invincible at the same time, around the same kind of time. Um, and he said Invincible was, was fantastic and this was dreadful but come the end. Mm. So I'm not sure I want to devote the time to it, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, it's been a bit off-putting. But the next Miller World project has been announced, and it's going to be something called Super Crooks, which is basically a super-powered Ocean's Eleven, which also, again, kind of goes to the point of this is the problem with Mark Miller's work. There's nothing massively original about it. But, again, I did enjoy the comic book series. It was just a four-part series. Like a lot of his work, there's not a lot of depth in the, the book's and then they just get adapted to screen, kind of like Kick-Ass, kind of like Wanted. I mean, Wanted is just like one of the most shallow books, and I don't think the film's got much more depth, if I'm perfectly honest. But I'll probably give that one a, a bit more of my time. Uh, Loki have finally unveiled the first non-straight character into the MCU. It's taken a long time, but they've finally gone ahead and actually put some representation i mean the fact that when did it start Stu? 2007 was it the first iron man no um was it iron man 2009 nine i think that that rings a bell but yet we've we finally got the first character who's gonna be not a straight white male which kind of feels like everybody in the mcu is very much that so Thor was Thor. Yeah, it was two thousand and eight. Iron Man. Thor itself came out in ten years ago, twenty eleven. So mm. we've had this character for ten years, and now it's just kind of been dropped in there. Yeah, it's just a throwaway comment, which it should be. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I thought they did it in a really fun way, um, and I didn't realise until like, there was articles and stuff about it. But they had the um, the colours of the bisexual flag in the background in the um, in that bar on the train. Oh, I never even clocked that. Okay. No. So, nice touch. Matt, have you been watching Loki at all? No, no, I haven't. Um, it's, I've got to admit, it just doesn't really do, doesn't really tickle my pickle, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor, the the Thor films, easy for me to say, <laughs> um, were always my least favourite of the MCU phases. Um, I'd probably only watch them because they had Natalie Portman in to begin with, if I'm honest. Um, so that world doesn't really entertain me because I think there's, there's so many other mediums that do Norse mythology and that better than mm. Marvel. Um, so no, I just find it bizarre that it's only coming it's only coming to fruition now in 2021. I mean, Bond has had a fucking gay characters before the MCU, and that's 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 insane to think because. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know how people seem to cling on to Bond when they say, "Oh well, you know, you can't have a black Bond if you can have a white shaft and all this kind of crap." There's those kind of people make those <laughs> remarks. So for Bond to have openly gay characters before they have uh, before the MCU, I just find 
bizarre. Mm. You can't have a white shaft, though. Let's, be, let's not be silly here. Yeah, there's there's no white human being alive who is that cool to be John Shaft. <laughs> like, <laughs> Neither of them, either. No, that is true, yeah. Have you seen the latest Shaft, thinking about it? The the one that was out, I think it was last year, with um, Samuel L. Jackson's version of Shaft's son. No, not yet. No, no, I haven't it, seen oh, that. It was fun, but it's not quite as strong as the... Then again, the others weren't that strong either. They were just dumb fun. But it's, it's enjoyable nonsense. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Richard, Richard Roundtree Shaft is incredible. And amazingly still... When you watch him now, you think, oh, it's the whole black exploitation thing. But it's actually really good. Still, mm. it really works. And I, I remember watching the Samuel L. Jackson version when well, it's still same bloodline, ain't but I remember going to the cinema to watch that. And we, I think we were the only white people in there. <laughs> but again, very good. Mm, I enjoyed it. Matt, what are your thoughts on Chaff and the whole family tree? Well, the only um, shaft I've seen in recent memory uh, that relates to this is bloody Lex the Impaler. Thanks for <laughs> Um For those listening to this whilst at work, don't Google it. <laughs> Wait till you're out of work and on inc- yeah, incognito mode. Or, or looking <laughs> into a field full of horses and you get the same big, same image. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um Speaking of Disney, I'm moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Disney, they are back at it once again. They are rebooting an animated film into a live-action version. Snow White is next up on the block. I've got to be honest, I haven't massively enjoyed any of the Disney animated to live-action films. None of them have really hit home quite as well as they should have done. Have any of them been your bags whatsoever? Yeah, I thought um, Jungle Book. I thought was was, was very good, and um, Lion King was okay. It was okay, watchable. Mm. Um, I know Cruella is in a direct adaptation of 101 Dalmatians, but it's that universe, and that was absolutely excellent. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think Snow White, if it was done in I think they'd have to do it, though, in a... How could I describe it? I almost think it needs to be like a modern-day like mm. adaptation of it, not the fantasy world side of it. I don't know. I just get... The Tale what? of Snow White... The, the Tale of Snow White is ridden now in Woke 2021 in <laughs> all sorts of like issues, isn't it? So mm-hmm. let's, let's, have, let's have a different approach to it. I'd be all up for that. Stu, any any of the remakes being your cup of tea? I thought he's in the um, Beauty and the Beast one. I like okay. that. I like that though, but I, I like Beauty and the Beast. Oh, of course, mm-hmm. yeah, I forgot about that. That was that was really a really well done version of things, and they added a bit extra, and it didn't feel out of place. So I, I like that. Well, I just I'm not against them. I'm not like. Ha- Slamming one feet down and say you can't touch our toys and things like that. But mm. I just think around to it. Just one of them things. I'll watch them eventually at some point. I'll probably watch them when I'm away. Because it's that kind of film that you don't really care that much about. Just put it on. Mm. I think Jungle Book's probably the best one. But for me, it was just a three out of five kind of film. But that that probably was the best one. I think you're right, Matt. Yeah, like you say, Cruella isn't 
it's not really a remake of 101, is it? So they did do a remake of 101 Dalmatians, though, didn't they? With Glenn Close. Oh yeah, yeah. It's believe... Sam's um, it's Sam's favorite favorite Disney film. Oh, okay, the remake or the original animated. Like the, re- like the well, both, yeah, but of like all of those of all of Disney, 101 Dalmatians is her favorite, and I think of the live action. That one is is her favourite okay. as well. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen that version of it, but I just remembered it. It was um, it was my sister's as well. But then she she did go on to ha- have own a Dalmatian, and as um as the question been asked, Matt, you can have a Dalmatian in your house because they're fucking stupid things. What in my house? <laughs> they're just yeah. If Sam if Sam likes that film so much, I thought oh, she might have uh, popped the no, question. So. No, so Sam is allegedly, allegedly um, deathly allergic to dogs. Hence the reason why we've got two cats. When I really want a dog, and I'm not allowed one. Yeah, the problem with Dalmatians, it's the inbreeding, I think, is why they're thick as pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But whilst we're speaking about reboots, my favourite Canadian, Seth Rogen, has confirmed that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated reboot it's been penciled in for the 11th of August, 2023. Is Seth Rogen the right man for the job? I mean, especially after how badly fans reacted to Michael Bay and his involvement in the films. Do we think Rogen is going to be the, the right man to take this project forward? Stu? I, obviously, <laughs> I am going to say this, but I didn't mind the Michael Bay ones. They weren't great, and they were still one as good as the, the 1991. <clears throat> But yeah, it seems it's going to be a different angle on it altogether again. But I think that's what was really missing. He, Michael Bay tried to turn it into reptilian, well, amphibian um, transformers. And that's why mm. it's not that at all. And it was missing a lot of the fun and the nonsense out of it. So having a comedian on board to do it, yeah, fine. Bring it on. Mm. I'm in the same boat as you on that. I actually think the... The last set of the Turtles films weren't quite as bad as what was made out, but like you are right, they missed that element of fun that the originals did. Matt, are you old enough to remember the Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles? I've read in the scriptures that um, <laughs> Teenage Mutant. No, um, I mean I never really watched it, and I never really watch it now, and I wouldn't. I haven't watched the Michael Bay ones. Um, but my understanding, or my fear with Seth Rogen doing it, would be. Take this in the nicest way possible. The you know this is a kids show and a kids thing, mm. and from what from the crit from the critical response that I understand, they need to take it back to being like a kids show again and make it a bit more fun and not quite as um, like Stu said. Like I don't know. My understanding is it was more kind of explosiony and not quite as kid friendly the Michael Bay ones. Yeah. Um, and then, so in that respect, is then Seth Rogen the right guy to then take it in that direction? Looking at his kind of career history as a producer or director, he hasn't really got that in his locker, as far as I'm aware. I think it will be more likely to end up as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not stoner movie, but a bit more kind of um, fart jokey, comedic, not in the kids' way. And I don't know if that will suit. I don't know. I'm not convinced, really. It's not something I'd rush out to watch. So, actually, Seth Rogen might completely turn it on its head and make something amazing out of it. I'm not sure. Mm. I mean, Seth Rogen, he's sort of my age-ish. I was just going to say And that. obviously, me being such a huge fan, if he's of a similar age, then 
I think he might understand it a little bit more than Michael yeah. Bay, who's another 10, 15 years older than us and just understands explosions. Like, so I, I'm optimistic about uh, Seth Rogen doing it, but I am a big fan of his anyway. Talking about age things, it was something that happened um, when I was down the Legion last week that when um, Phil Foden made an appeal, he came on screen and they're talking about his hair yet again. Mm. And um, there was, a, there was a, a group of youths, which they were, they were nice youths, they weren't causing any chaos. They were just sitting there having a beer. And, um, well, drinking out of bottles, of course, like they do, not pints. But, um, yeah, they were sitting there and they, they just said, oh, they, yeah, there was, um, there was a guy that my granddad used to listen to who had hair like that. And then, what? Yeah, there was there was a couple of them. There was a, there was a white guy. And there was a that black guy who did the thong song thing. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there thinking, granddad. But then, if you're trying to, you're working out twenty years ago, twenty odd years ago, when they were born, their dad say so their dad was sixteen. Their granddad could have been <laughs> his dad could have been fifteen, sixteen. So he oh. would have been in the early thirties when when that was out. So it kind of works. <laughs> That's depressing as fuck. <laughs> so we've had like two generations since the thong sung hit the uh, the airwaves. That's awful. <laughs> In other news, which seems to be pitched specifically for me, <laughs> Batgirl and Blue Beetle are both getting movies that are going directly to HBO Max. I really hope they put Booster Gold in that. He's putting... I love Booster Gold. He's like... After Batman, he's my favourite... Do you think it's a good idea putting some of DC's lesser characters straight onto HBO Max? I mean, when you look at Marvel, I mean, Marvel managed to turn the Guardians of the Galaxy from someone that even diehards didn't know about to one of the most popular groups. Are DC going to miss a trick by putting characters like Blue Beetle, who's got a wealth of history that the mainstream probably doesn't know? Is is there a chance that they could be missing out on, on something by going straight to streaming with this? I think it's too late. I think that's why they're doing it. Because mm. if you look at even Iron Man, not the vast majority of people wouldn't have heard of Iron Man before that film. Mm. Being a second, if you watch the Spider-Man cartoon and stuff like that and beforehand. But I think it's a long time ago now when all that, when all that was in vogue and it's, well, we've already talked about Invincible so many times today already. Um, it, superhero is just, it's just another genre now. It's not standout. So if you put something that no one's got any kind of clue about whatsoever, who's going to go and watch that? Because it's not, it's not unique anymore, is it? It's not, it's not like an event. It's just another, mm. it's just a different genre of film that you want to watch. So I think it works this way because then they can take more risks because it's going straight to, straight, it's going straight to streaming anyway. So just do what you can. Just do what you can on there. You've got full license, I presume, to do what they want and not be kind of constrained by oh, what what people from the Times are going to say about it and stuff like this. So mm. I think it's a good move, to be fair. Matt, any thoughts? Yeah, I do think it's a good move, but I think it's a good move for HBO Max. I don't think it's a good move for fans of the comic book genre. Or in that respect. Now, the reason I say that is you'd argue on face value that, well, none of these superheroes are going to get the exposure on a paid platform. People aren't going to pay for it to watch 
those superheroes and i'll talk about casuals here like me for example to the superhero genre you know that don't know their was it 62nd man was it was that right the other day <laughs> from you know what i mean our, our man our yeah. man that was it um, <laughs> you know what i mean so you'd think on the face value well they're they're never going to get the exposure so they're never going to become mainstream but People like me, for example, will already have HBO Max for all its other content anyway. They're not going to get any more subscribers by having these platform, by having these shows on their platform from Casual Joe. But what they will get are hardcore Henrys like yourself that will get HBO Max because of these niche. So they're doubling up. They're doubling up basically. There's enough content on their platforms for average Joe. But by now having it on that platform, they'll get extra people subscribing to have that niche content. It's genius, really. Yeah, well, mm. well, you're kind of proofing the pudding with that because would you have paid for to play Yakuza Kiwami? Never. If it, no. if it wasn't no, no, free. No. no, 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 exactly not. Or Need for Speed Payback, as I'm playing now. Like, I, I w- like, do you know what I mean? But by by having Game Pass, I will play it. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly mm. right. So I think for for HBO. It's a great move for the genre. It's not fantastic, really, because Joe Bloggs won't watch it. There, therefore, the stock of that character won't rise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's everything on the news this week. Matthew, have we had any listener questions? We have. We have. Some firm favourites have got in touch, as always, so we really do appreciate that. So, let's go straight into it. Um, Little Dan. I think he sent a couple of questions before, actually, to be fair. Um, I'm going to admit, I don't know these series of films, so I'm hoping you guys are going to educate me. What was your favourite character in the Puppet Master series of films, and do you have any horror doll-type figurines at home? (laughs) <laughs> Andy, I'm looking at you for that. Um, I haven't got any horror dolls, no, no. Um, I've got like some Funko Pops of horror characters. Like I've got a, a Chucky, but that, that's probably about it. Puppet Master, I haven't seen for a long, long time. I only remember the Greg Sestero from The Room, um, Mark from The Room. Mm-hmm. He is in one of the Puppet Master films. That's pretty much all I can remember about the movies. Greg Sestero is in one of them. Um, so I couldn't tell you my favourite character. It's been far too long. I might need to revisit that series. Never, never brought it up. I've got no idea about this at all. You'd love it, Stu. Like it's just bonkers shit. Yeah. <laughs> I used to get a. You know, this was quite a while ago now. Before it was. I'm not saying I was the hipster of this, but you know, like it's very common now to have loot crates. Yeah. Well, I used to have horror crate. And they'd bring like a, a real like old, old horror film or a real schlocky one on Blu-ray. And then they give you loads of figurines and stuff. So I've got like a few alien ones. I've got a uh, Jason Voorhees like plush toy that I tried to give my nephew as like a gift. <laughs> <laughs> my my one-year-old nephew, unsurprisingly. He didn't take it off me. I'm not sure why. Um, so I've got a couple of horror figurines and stuff like that nestled in amongst the Bioshock and wrestling figurines, as sad as I am. <laughs> This actually, looking at this now, it looks really familiar. I think I, I but it, it would have been the same as you, and I ain't seen it for a long, long time. Yeah, I need to revisit it to remember any of the characters. Yeah. 
So, Tara, our friend Tara, for, for The Killing, which I believe have a new episode out, if I remember correctly seen on Twitter. Um, what's your favourite literary adaptation? Uh, I'm a fan of, well, she is a fan of American Psycho, Let the Right One In, and it miniseries, none of that Andy Muschietti nonsense. See, I like it. I, I think the film adaptation was good, whereas the TV version is far too long. Like, it needs a good editor to get in there and just cut it down. Um, I tell you what, I really like that I, I don't think it's a recognition is High Fidelity. I love hmm. the book and I love the film. I think it's, it's a really good transposition of one to the other. What they did, they changed it from London to Chicago, though, which I think works in the film's favour because the book, I think, is set in the late 70s, mm-hmm. whereas the film is set in the 90s, so it's more about, like, the grunge scene talking about. So it works perfectly moving it to Chicago. And it might be the first film I remember seeing Jack Black in, other than okay. Biodome. But, yeah. <laughs> Do they have the um, the song High Fidelity from Fame, you think? Uh, no, I don't think they do. That they've um, Jack Black sings "Let's Get It On" by Marvin Gaye, which is just superb. Yeah, really good. But yeah, it's um, I'd recommend that to him. I think that's a cracking film. Shoe literary adaptation. Um, Fever Pitch. Another Nick Hornby, yeah, yeah. Really strangely, strangely good film. I mean. I- I can kind of cheat a bit, and I almost mentioned it earlier um, when we were talking about films from um, made from things from the past. But the DiCaprio Romeo and Ju- Romeo Cross Juliet, which <laughs> Baz Luhrmann, yeah, mm-hmm. which I ain't seen that for a long. We watched that in school, amazing love. But I thought that was all right. When we when you're talking about making Snow White in the uh, in modern day, and that's what that's what came popped into my head. The only thing that popped into my head with that is the cardigans. Love Fool by the cardigans. <laughs> I'm sure that was in the trailer. Oh, they, um, ubiquitous that song was, wasn't it? They played Love Fool and they played um, the that Losing My Favourite Game by... That's not the cardigans anyway, it's someone else. But no, they, uh, is, is, it, is, it, is it Catatonia? No, no it's not Catatonia. No, no. It might be the cardigans. No, it is the cardigans, yeah, it is. Yeah, when, uh, when Mika Hakkinen won the... Um, I think it was the 99 F1 Championship. That's what the uh, the end credits was. was I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's for random. me, it, it, it has to be um, train spotting for me. I know it's the easy answer, really, but it was um, uh, it was a film first for me. It existed as a film first before I read the book. Read the book, fell in love with it as a book. Went back to the film expecting the worst, and then still loved the film just as much. Um, just an excellent, excellent double header, really. Can't recommend it enough. I'm hoping when I go to Scotland in a few weeks' time, I won't be faced with some of the same kind of predicaments as <laughs> the cases in transporting. However, <laughs> uh, so the next questions that we have are well, let's go straight to uh, Sconos shall rule again, which is Matt Cunnington. What non Nick Cage film part do you think Nick would be perfect for? Oh, um, <laughs> I tell you what, you know when th- there's reportedly a He-Man film coming out in the next two or three years' time, a live-action one. I'd love to see him as Skeletor. (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely think, give him a a villainous, off-the-wall kind of role, I think he'd be excellent as that. So, Skeletor for me. 
I want him in Fast and Furious 10 as the villain. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I wanted to see him in uh, in Money Plane as the Kelsey Grammer. Um, <laughs> as the Kelsey Grammer character. Uh, David Evans, uh, remake any film exactly the same as its original, but you have to recast Nick Cage in every single part. Every shot and line has to be exactly the same. What film are you choosing to see Cage in a one-man version of? Uh, face off. I <laughs> 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 that'd be perfect. Uh, no, seriously. That um, have you ever seen Swiss Army Man? It's starring. No, I've heard of it. I've heard yeah, of it. Harry Potter's in it, and he plays this corpse, and it's all about mental health and stuff. And the guy who uses his corpse to escape an island. It's fuck. It's so weird, but. It would be perfect for a Nick Cage kind of batshit performance. Swiss Army Man for me would probably be the one. Oh, tr- there's um, a Michael Sheen film that I'm trying to find what it's called. That's, you you want to you want to see? Um, I know it's not Michael Sheen as, as such, but you want to see um, Nick Cage as Brian Clough, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Michael Sheen. He's, he's in a box of some kind. I can't remember. It's, it's some kind of terrorism. I can't. I really can't find what it is. What it's called. I kind of dreamt it. The only thing I could, there's that show Prodigal Son where he's in a prison cell. Uh, no, I don't think it's that. I can't. I've got no idea. It, it, it might have been a long time ago. It might not have even been him. Um, had you eaten a lot of cheese before you'd gone to bed and you had some <laughs> kind of cheese dream? You know what? I actually had today, though, some red Leicester cheddars. Yes, they're lovely, aren't they? Yeah. Because I was I was walking back, and, well, that's a different story altogether. I was, because um, I went to, um, you know, because of funerals being all terrible and you can only have a certain amount. But you know how bad Bushbury Cremies and how small it is. So they said, well... You can um, you can come and pay respects, but you got to stand on the grass by the uh, by the car park. And I was at work, so I thought, okay, I'll just just pop over there. I'm, I'm still in shorts, obviously shorts and uh, shorts and a waterproof jacket. So I thought, well, can't be out. I can't go in anyway. So I was standing there, and then the car the cars came up, and I was stand- I was looking. I thought, I don't recognise anyone here. <laughs> and then I thought, well. Obviously, there's two chapels. So I thought, well, it, it might just be the other one. And then the, another car came for the other chapel. And I thought, I wonder if I've got the date wrong here. And then I checked it and I had to, it's next Friday. <laughs> oh, you've heard of a wedding oh. crasher. So I've actually accidentally gone to the wrong funeral. <laughs> <laughs> after, oh. it, after it. But yeah, Reservoir Dogs is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, that's funny. Um, and to, to top it off, uh, Andrew Wright uh, wants to know: If you were sentenced to five years in jail, which movie prison would you choose to be locked up in? That's a great question. I like that. Um, oh. The Rock. Yeah, The Rock. No, um, I'd want to be in the Goodfellas prison. Like oh, you see yeah, them all just sitting around making their own fresh pasta and sauce and everything. It looks fantastic. I'd hundred percent want to be in with the uh, the wise guys from Goodfellas. 
Well, I think at the end of uh, the Wolf on Wall Street, he's playing tennis, isn't he, in his prison? Yeah. So I probably want to probably want to go there. To be fair, the, mm. like you know the the prison for the rich. You know, oh, the, the best prison of all, the one from Mean Machine. Oh God, that film. Yeah, would if, you, if you would you be the kind of person to put a blade in your boot, Stuart, and give the linesman <laughs> a kick in if he was one of the screws? Well, you got to let him know you're there. <laughs> there we go well thank you very much for your questions guys only a few this week to go through uh, as always get your questions in and we will answer them to the best of our ability and if not Stu will come to your funeral perhaps <laughs> uh, lovely thank you very much for that so for Hot Take Corner this week the Hot Take I want your opinions on can a horror be set in space or does that automatically make it a sci-fi movie? Matt? Yes, horror can be set in space. Now, I was thinking about this. It may, by default, make it a sci-fi horror. I'm fine with that. But it doesn't stop it from being a horror. Now, in the last few years, or not the last few years, but the, the in thing is to suggest that horror requires maybe a monster or a supernatural being, or something to make it a horror. But horror has and always will be a style. A horror is a genre, not, you know, it doesn't have to have a monster involved with it. Um, so for it to go into space, you know, it doesn't, by going into space doesn't automatically mean because it hasn't got a dinosaur in it, or it hasn't got, you know, a ghost in it, or something like that. It's any less of a, it's any less of a horror. It just needs to, ha- it just needs to have horror elements, like, like Alien, for example. You know, it's it's a horror film. Yes, it has got a monster. And I'm contradicting myself massively here, but it's it it doesn't automatically turn it into a sci-fi. It doesn't take it away from being any less scary or chilling or mm. giving you the fear of God and, uh, and you know making you want to shit yourself any less just because it's in space. I don't understand the logic behind that. No, I, I completely agree. I think the argument that they were trying to make is that you can only be scared when you recognise the setting and because you've never been into space. You obviously don't recognise the setting, but you don't know, so you don't know fear. But if the acting is good enough, you understand the fear because you are seeing it. So yeah, I well, think for I mean, me, I've never, I've never been to Cape Fear, or I've never been. <laughs> do you know well, what I yeah. mean? Like I've never been to a mental asylum, or I've never been. Do you know what I mean? I've never been to a, the majority of horror film settings. That doesn't make it any less relatable or believable. I've probably got as much of a chance of me going to space and I have to me now going to camp unless I all of a sudden have a vocation to becoming like a mm-hmm. volunteer abroad teaching English to as a missionary or something. Do you know what I mean? So I don't see why they're any less relatable to be honest. No. Shu, what are your thoughts? Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, not just going, going off alien being the obvious one. I mean, to take it to put, I presume that you ain't played it, Andy. Dead Space. Yes, yes, I have. It's fucking terrifying. Exactly. Case in point. Mm. And that's more of the setting. Mm. Not the fact that it's in space. It could just be in a... It could be anywhere. It could be in a warehouse. It could be anywhere, but it's a terrifying game. It just happens to be in space. Just because you've got a style doesn't mean it has to be set in a certain place, does it? So It's like The Abyss. The Abyss is underwater. Mm. Obviously, that does being underwater mean that it, 
what's that? Is it an aquatic film? No, it's sci-fi. It's it's just it's people trying to be overly clever about things again. Mm. That's all that yeah. is. Yeah, I think horror is a theme. It is not a genre, I think, to be perfectly honest. It would be like saying a rom-com isn't a thing. It's either a romance film or it's a comedy film. It can't be both, whereas it obviously can. What about a rom-com in space? What does that become then? Does it become sci-fi? Probably. I, I can't even think of one that's existed. There's bound to be one out there, surely. I think Chris Pratt's been in a film that automatically makes it a rom-com in space. <laughs> so we'll move on to the non-film question, and that is mine this week. I want you gentlemen to tell me about a genre of music which unexpectedly brings you joy or really gets you going. Matt? I mean, unexpectedly, I presume you could expect it from me, really, but it's it's so niche as a genre. There's loads of there's loads of other artists out there you think I'd be more into than this. So gro- groove metal, it's called. So basically, you've got heavy metal, you've got all its offshoots, then you've got its offshoots like new metal and death metal and black metal, but then you go even further, scratch the surface even more, and you have things like groove metal. And what groove metal is is essentially a slightly uh, slower tempo, but it's a lot of um, syncopated beats. So instead of it being um, the strong beats are the loudest, it's the strong beats are the weakest and everything's off rhythm and off beat. Um, I'm not saying it's ska or I'm not saying it's anything like that or reggae, but it's just it's just funkier. So you had, like the, I think, one of the first groove metal albums that was really known was kind of Pantera's vulgar display of power. But then you have stuff like in modern day bands like devil driver who sound terrifying. Um, and they did feature on scrubs funnily enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, groove metal for me, it just has this, I can't describe it because it's, it's not funky like disco. It's not going to make you happy and your, your nan's not going to dance to it, but it, it's just <laughs> got something about it. It's, it's, it's got a rhythm that you could almost dance to in a cool way. But it's heavy fucking metal, and it's people screaming at each other. It just gets, that, it just gets, it gets the juices flowing. I don't know why. That sounds fascinating, to be perfectly honest. I've never even heard of it, but I'm. That's to like send me a list of some bands to check out because I'm quite intrigued by that one. Stu, what gets your uh, motorboat running? <laughs> motorboat, crikey! Um, uh, <laughs> You fully expect me to say steps or some bollocks like that, are you? But of course, yeah. I'm going to go back to the the, the little known fact that other than my early buying of Catatonia, Mulder and Scully, which was my first ever CD, um, and Oasis and things like that, one of my first albums ever was the very best of Shackadim Suppliers, <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> You put oh, a bit of Shaka doing some clothes on in the summer when it's really hot with a cider outside and a barbecue and say that you can't enjoy yourself with that on. Oh, you, try it just... you try it next time, you're not going to be able to not smile. I've I've got full fucking images of Stu bogling now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dearie, mate. What, what was your first uh, CD or, or, uh, or piece of music that you purchased for yourself? Anna? Okay. The first piece of music that I purchased with my own well, it'd been pocket money way back when was I, I, was it called the Adams Family Rap or it was basically the MC Hammer's song that was the 
soundtrack to Adam's Family Values was the first thing I bought. Um, yeah, I've still got it somewhere as well. Well, if you take, if you go in the first thing you bought uh, on the same day, it was definitely maybe, and Joe Bunny Mechanics. <laughs> Fucking Joe Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. Uh, what's yours, Matt? So the first cassette. I ever bought myself. So it was the first single I ever bought myself was Rock DJ by uh, Robbie Williams. Ooh, yeah, fantastic choice. And then the first album I bought myself was uh, Chocolate Starfish by Limp Biscuit because it was on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, I think it was. Yes. The first album I remember buying with my own money was probably The Beatles' Help. There's got to have been something before that, surely. But I remember that's the first one I can remember buying myself from Woolworths in Dudley. But yeah, that's the first album I can remember getting with my own cash. Well, they were the one when they were first digitised, though. So they were all re-released. Is that why you would have bought it then? It was like the first release of it because they've all, they've remastered them several times since, done them in um, mono and stereo and all the other different versions of it as well. But it was the first release of it. Yeah. I don't, kind of on, um, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here. You know, I'm aware that our uh, listeners like to use this as a commute tool. However, do you remember how fucking expensive DVDs were originally? Oh, like, I remember, I remember at paying... At least 20 quid, yeah. I remember paying, a, like, I'm talking 70 or £80 pounds for the Alien Quadrilogy. Yeah. Mm. And thinking that was normal. Thinking that was the mm. done thing, and when I had the tin version of Band of Brothers, I must have paid close to a hundred hundred pounds for that. Yeah, Thinking I remember. I remember getting the vanilla DVD of um, the Running Man. So it was literally you had the film and maybe a trailer on there, and it was like twenty five quid just for a, a bog standard one. People don't know how good they've got it now. Yeah, they really don't. Well, you say that, but yeah. I've got that Alien Quadrilogy one, the green one, the one with mm-hmm. the, the, um, the speckles. But it was the same with the um, Planet of the Apes, five-film box set was about 70 quid as well. But, but you, look at it, you look at it now, the new, re, the new 4K remaster of Lord of the Rings trilogy is 80 quid on 4K Blu-ray. 80 quid. So it, things ain't really changed that much. It's just that... It's only going to be men- extreme mentalists who buy it now, not just normal people. Mm, true. Mm. You own it, don't you, Stu? No. It's <laughs> only my PS, PS5 plays 4K Blu-ray anyway. And unless mm. I'm going to get a bigger telly than that, then there's no point, really. Have you got a 4K Blu-rays at home, Stu? You got any? No. Oh, I was going to say, I might have to. Now I've got the Series X and that telly. I might have to try something out. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll scare eBay and just see if. Like, Something like if transport, but no, no, that won't work. So it'd be silly. I might wait for um, I might wait for Avatar two or something like that. That you you know full well that's like a native transfer rather than an upscale, just to mm. see the the complete difference. Well, I, but, I need to banish the demon that was my first Blu-ray, um, because for bizarre reasons, I thought I oh, know I'll try fucking Alpha Popper. As my first Blu-ray, <laughs> like, and I was like, when I, when I finished watching, I was like, yeah, great movie, but um, I don't know why I use this as my, my first like Blu-ray to try and test it out. That's <laughs> not so when I when I had um, Deep Blue Sea was my first DVD. <laughs> I think that was possibly mine. Came in a box set. And it was Deep Blue Sea, Three Kings, and The Matrix. 
in a trio. Yeah, and I also had um, Clockwork Orange. Those are the first four DVDs I had when I had it for Christmas. So you never had the uh, the joys of the original DVD cases where the, it was the plastic on the side? Oh, no, they, they came in that. It was the plastic that wrapped around with cardboard. Yeah. It would clip in underneath it. Absolutely <laughs> atrocious. Back in 1999 for you. Um, the answer to the musical non yeah, the non-film music question for me. I love songs about teen angst. I don't know why I'm 38 years old. <laughs> but you put My Chemical Romance, I'm not okay, I promise. And I am there giving it socks. I'm telling you now, I'm telling you now, the Black Parade album in 20 years' time will go down in history as an absolute classic. And I want to be there when it happens. It is a good album, to be fair. But I do remember... Because I used to avidly read NMA because look at me, of course, I fucking did. <laughs> um, and it got a 10 out of 10 for the Black Parade, which I remember at the time was unheard of for most albums, let alone an emo album in the NMA. Just, but I mean, it is a very good album. There is, there's some tracks on it that I still have on my playlists now. Does, um, does Good For You class as uh, Tink Angst? Well, this is where the <laughs> whole conversation started. It very much does. It's a song about lost love and that sort of first relationship. So, yeah, um, Olivia Rodrigo, good for you, is a 100% banger. And I guarantee when that comes on in the planet, Matt is going to be giving it socks. Fucking Tom Kearney, one of my oldest and closest friends, someone I, I respect incredibly <laughs> highly. Today, 1453, I can't stop listening to Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo, <laughs> and I make no apologies for this. Good man. Andy's been harping on about this, is what he's put. And then he just put, um, just reminds me of Prime Planet Days with Paramore playing and the Fort of Haley Williams. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've sent you that link to, to the listeners. There's a mashup on YouTube of Good For You and Misery Business, and it does sync together quite well. I played it in the car today and she told me to turn it off because it was messing with her mind. <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. It's If you if you grew up with Avril, well, I was going to say grew up with Avril Lavigne, she grew up with herself, she's exactly the same. God. But it's, you can't not love it, really. Hmm. It is good fun. It is. Right, so onto the film questions this week. What have you been watching? Stu? Well, other than Euro twenty twenty and twenty one, um, there's two two main things that I've watched since the last uh, last adjournment, um, and one was we'll talk later of Fast and Furious nine and its incredibleness, or not so much. It depends which which way you come at it. Um, but more importantly, a Quiet Place Part Two, just fucking outstanding film. From every, I mean, for something that we've kind of harped on about for the last. 18 months, two years or so, or whatever it's been, how good that film is. And you can't even say much without spoiling it still. Mm. But it's just a work of art. It just is. It's There's no bad part about it, either of them. And the second one is even better than the first, which hardly ever happens, other mm. than Terminator 2. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, what have you been watching? So as I mentioned earlier, I watched uh, Cruella um, only a couple of days ago now. Um, 
full disclosure, I got it. I got a copy of it for the wife. Had no intention of watching it and enjoying it. But like the dutiful husband I am, I sat down and it's an absolute blast. Honestly, it was it was just sensational. It was everything that you wanted. You know what? It, it really felt like a um, it was just so fresh and so. I, d- I can't describe it. Just how good it was. It, it was just it was just really excellently done. It was funny. Um, both of the lead females in it were sensational. Um, stylistically, it was brilliant. And you you would you know you would think when you talk about the fashion world that turns off a lot of people in general. If you, a story about the fashion world, because why why would you give a shit about that? But they they make it enjoyable. They make it entertaining. They don't make it. They don't mention at all about. I don't know how they make us such a hero, knowing what Cruella is in 101 Dalmatians, and they even they even like play off on that in, in, in with like the Dalmatians and and, and the animal um, cruelty and all that kind of stuff in the film. I just think it was brilliant, and I think everyone should should go out and try and watch it. It was it was really great. Mm. On the flip side of something completely evil, I watched the um, Netflix documentary The Son of Sam. Um, I can't remember what the full like the actual full title of it is, but it's basically the story of the son of Sam um, killings in New York. Um, but it's from the eyes of one of the journalists who was kind of got obsessed with the case after the fact. He believed that there was a second um, killer that led onto there being a cult that was involved, and it wasn't just uh, David Berkowitz, who I believe was the son of Sam. Um, and it's really nicely put together. Dire- um, it's it's narrated by the it's not narrated by the um, by the journalist because he's unfortunately passed away now. But I think he's in memoirs and his book was basically not narrated. It was just really really excellent. I think Netflix really do have the um, have the title on these kind of serial killer documentaries. They just do a really good job of them consistently. Yeah, I've, I've just added that to my list as you were speaking. That sounds um, <clears throat> right up my street, to be honest. Uh, so for myself, obviously with the cinemas back open, I've gone a little bit crazy. I've seen four films in the last two weeks at the cinema. Fast and Furious, as Stu said, we'll be discussing in a little bit. Um, I got to see Scott Pilgrim on the big screen for its 10th anniversary. Uh, I watched a film called In the Earth, which is a really unusual, folksy horror movie with some of the absolute best use of sound and sound editing i've seen mm. in any film ever it's very very ben wheatley and if you don't like ben wheatley's film you probably won't like this but if you do i would recommend it to anyone it's eerie it's unsettling it's disturbing i winced and laughed and cried it was just i really enjoyed it but as i say ben wheatley isn't he's not the kind of director that i would say to everybody to go and check out just because he's a little bit difficult to to read at times and i also watched a quiet place part two as you said it is absolutely outstanding like the within the first five minutes of the film i nearly shit myself like there's something that happens that even though you sort of expect it it still feels like it's come kind of out of nowhere and the whole film i just felt on edge purely because of that one bit right at the start where it gives you something that you expect but don't expect and you fear for that throughout the rest of the film. Like For a guy who is primarily known for comedy, I think that um, Krasinski did an 
incredible job of writing and directing this one. I urge everyone to see the first one anyway. I think this is is at least as good as the first film. At least as good. So on to the individual questions. Stu, you're starting us off this time. <laughs> the, the little giggle of anticipation there. So, I, mean, I think Dan Dan's question, something about puppets and stuff as well earlier. Why are anthropomorphic animals a thing? Why? Why do we have to have animals that talk? Why is it such a big thing? And you grow up on ducktails, of, but they're only wearing clothes on the top half. But and it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly acceptable. It doesn't make any sense. Just why? Where did it start? And why did it, and like Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood film. Why? Why are all the animals getting on? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why is this a thing, Andy? Why? The the only way I can sort of marry it in my head, and it is something that generally starts at a younger age. So you are right, it is Disney that really introduced the anthropomorphic animals. Because it's an allegory to show children that everyone can be different, but everyone can live together. It's also a way of expressing things to kids that you can't necessarily show in a live action. So if you were going to put someone in a perilous situation, if you were young and you were to see two people who look like you on the screen, who are fearing for their lives, that is so much more distressing than if you see Chip and Dale in that same situation where you have two chipmunks who are fearing for, for their being. So that's the only way I can see it is that it must be a cushion for kids so they don't so they can understand what is being told to them without identifying with that character that makes some kind of sense actually <laughs> <laughs> i mean for me i think what makes it so popular is that the comedy of because it's gen, generally speaking comedy the comedy can be split into tight kind of two elements you've got the human element of animals so you've got their natural kind of, um, you've got the things that make us not so million miles away from animals. We are just an intelligent animal. You know, we're not, well, I certainly don't believe we are not God made by intelligent design or anything like that. We are just an animal that is advanced, maybe at a quicker rate than, than, than others. But, you know, we enjoy the human side of watching animals, but the other side then, you can have a talking monkey, but then when it scratches his ass like an animal, or when or a, you know a, a, a rabbit starts hopping around, it's cute and it becomes a cheap gag. It's just it's it's easy to switch between the two. Like, how often do we like getting into a YouTube wormhole and watching stupid animal videos? <laughs> then put then then put a comedian that we like over the top voice in it. Just makes it. It's just it's just an easy an easy way of getting a kind of a cheap laugh. And. Why it's so popular, I guess, because like Andy said as well, in that it, it makes these beings relatable to to kids that don't understand any different. That you know they want to believe that animals can talk. They want to they want to be friends with their pets, and they want to be able to have that kind of relationship. And in these films, they they they, they for ninety minutes can can do that. I guess. Yeah, that's fair. And, but. The second half of Zootopia slash Zootropolis, depending on where you are, 
he's fucking terrified. <laughs> <There's> no... <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they turn, there's no stopping that. And have you seen that one? It's yeah, not, yeah, I've seen it's it. Yeah. Not on, um, it's not on. I think it's DreamWorks. It's not Disney. Oh, okay. Hence why it's so uh, so harsh in places. It's <laughs> it definitely. I think you'd actually quite like it. I've saw the first twenty minutes, and then for some reason, I think I had to go out and never, never got around to watching the rest. And I really enjoyed what I watched, but just never got back to it. So Zootropolis, that's another one for the list. Or Zootopia depends. Does okay, it, it's got it's got a different name here, obviously. For... So, so it's an American English, yeah, type of uh, it's a, dealio. Avengers Assemble again. Hmm. Right. I mean this. For me, this kind of goes back to my issue with The Lion King, the live-action, quote-unquote, version of it. Mm. You'd lose that that element of the characters because these look like actual lions and actual meerkats, whereas obviously in the animated version, the original version, they don't. You can clearly tell that it's an animation. So when they transposed it to make it look like the actual version of mm. it, it lost something in translation it a bit for of me. Like the whimsicalness of it all, I guess. Mm. So I think that's why I never quite clicked with the, the the Lion King remake personally. Lovely. So Matthew, your question is next, please, sir. Right, right. Channel 5's favourite film, The Waterboy always on for some bizarre reason now i caught it the other day i must have watched about 45 minutes of it and watch all of it and i found myself really enjoying it as i have in the past i've i think it's a great film andy i know you disagree however i'm older i'm wiser i'm more sensitive now to matters of mental health and the way that films naturally age terribly now based on that we live in a completely different world in the last 10, 15 years than we did when this film was made. Is The Waterboy fun, guilt-free viewing, or is it actually towing the line too far on exploiting mental health and the uh, trials and tribulations of somebody clearly with mental disorder or, or mental difficulties like Adam Sandler's character? I think because he wins out in the end, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's your payoff. So, would it be made now? No, <laughs> absolutely no chance. Because for that exact reason, that it's it's so close to the let's take the piss out of the handicapped people kind of thing that I don't think it'd be or it'll be it'd get a R rating or something like that, and obviously then wouldn't be made. Mm. But I think with all this, the same with all these things, you take it from when it was made, you take it to actual overall messages, more so than the taking the piss out of someone who's obviously not all there. Um, so I, th- I think they get away with it. I think it works. Again, it's been a long time since I saw it. And I, last time I watched it, I, it's one of the few films of his that I actually do enjoy. Um, but yeah, I think that they probably do just about get away with it. Hmm. And uh, it it certainly takes it right up to the line. It's, I mean, they made a film 
they made almost the same film, but it's not a comedy when they did The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock, where it was a mentally challenged character who was in college football and yada yada, similar to this. Um, if you watch it through the lens of a film from the late 90s, it's harmless fun and fine, great. But I watched it last night because I hadn't watched it for at least a decade, at least. And I'm watching it and I'm I'm not laughing quite like I would have done before mm. because, as you say, I've changed. I've become a person who's probably a little bit more in, uh, attuned to people with mental health issues. And it just felt like it was crossing that line. Like the stuff with his mom is basically abusive to him and has been his whole life making him out to be a bad human being because that's the devil. Anything he did was the devil. And that's just abuse. And that's obviously not how people would have thought back in 1998. But that's where we are now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What leads me to come on my second part of the question really would be, as I think we've all said in one way or another on this podcast, nothing is off limits when it comes to comedy either. Mm-hmm. So by that token, does it change the view on it? Because, you know, nothing is off limits. Comedy is there to exploit every opportunity it can. That is the nature of comedy. Um, I, I think for me, like what Stu said, um, the fact that everybody gets their comeuppance that deserves it in The Waterboy, oddly, it's quite wholesome in that way, I guess. Everybody gets the ending that they deserve in that film, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, I think it it, it escapes it's, it escapes being exploitative for that measure. You know, the water boy himself, you know, he's very articulate when he's talking about things that he knows about. And when he is being quote unquote clever, it's funny. And I, but I did find it a bit uncomfortable watching it in parts. Yeah, I think Stu hit the nail on the head when he said that it's the positive payoff. Mm-hmm. So you're not just laughing at him, you're rooting along with him. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's why it's, even though it's not aged brilliantly and there are elements that there are issues with, it's not as bad as probably Little Nicky and some of these <laughs> other absolute dog shit films from mm-hmm. the, the same sort of period. Um, and you are right, like comedy should be to take the piss out of anything as long as the context is there to justify what you're saying, it should never be punching down. Mm-hmm. And I did feel there were parts of it where that it was very close, at least, to punching down. That's fair. I think that's fair. If, but at the same time, if you want to punch down, go for it. But at least accept what you're doing. Oh yeah, like you, you have to accept the ramifications that if you're going to take the piss out of disabled people, you're going to get flack for it. You've got to be able to to stand up and take it and, and defend what you've done. Yeah, but that's absolutely not what this does, which is why I, I said what I said. And I, that's why I think it works. Hmm. It, yeah, it's it is better than I was expecting it to be, but only marginally. <laughs> I, I did laugh at one scene though. So the scene which I, I'd sent you the picture from with Lawrence Taylor in there, and he gets Bobby Boucher to give a talk to all the kids, and then Lawrence Taylor turns around and says, "And just remember, kids, don't do crack." <laughs> I really laughed at that because when Lawrence Taylor did WrestleMania 11, the reason he did that is because he spent all his money doing crack. So, like, he had a proper horrible crack habit. Like, he's even admitted to it. I'm not just casting aspersions against him, but 
And I also like the fact that it has got two WrestleMania headliners in there. I don't think there's any other film that's got two men who've headlined WrestleMania. You've got right. Big Show at the start as well. Yeah, yeah, it's Captain Insano. Yeah. Um, Fast Eight? Did it? Oh, fuck. Of course. Um, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Because Rome, Roman Reigns and The Rock are both in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be the one. That would be the one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought about this. Would <laughs> I, I remember it being quite <laughs> a massive deal at the time? But can you imagine if an animated show in, introduced Timmy now? Oh God! Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember it at the time, like it was a bit questionable, but mm. yeah. I mean, in fairness to South Park. They've always been able to justify their jokes. They've always been punching up. They would use Timmy to take the piss out of other people. The joke was never on him. Yeah, like with Jimmy and the special camp as well. They've got everyone there. Yeah. But it, again, it's safe park. It works. It works mm. perfectly. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, so on to my question. So I've already said I went to go and see Scott Pilgrim the other week. Uh, as it was back in the cinemas celebrating its 10th anniversary. So I want to know what you would like to see back in the cinemas that will be celebrating its 20th anniversary in the next 12 months. Stu, kick us off. The one that I came to straight away um, was Gladiator, because I never saw it in the cinema. I don't know why, but no... Maybe because of its length, and I'm scared of length at the time. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just it, it was one of them I completely missed out on, and I watched it on DVD years later when it was when it was released, and I watched it at home, and I I straight away regretted seeing it properly, and I never have. So for that reason, it was there. I mean, I looked down the list that you you sent earlier on that's on Wikipedia, and there's things like Exit Wounds, which I did watch in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and that was one where me and me and Goldie went to watch that, and we were the only the only people in there paying attention to the film. There was a, a couple in front, a few rows in front, paying very much um, Hancock attention to each other. Let's just <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> and you look at the rest. You got Snatch and um, Evolution, which was another one. Mm. God, I haven't seen that for years. Mm. I remember but, enjoying that. Yeah, it's still it's still really good. But I didn't watch them at the time. I don't remember watching them at the time. I, I watched them on at home. So for that reason, then I missed out on. So that's why I'd watch them at the cinema again. Mm, good choices. Matt, what about you? I want to see Shrek in 4DX. <laughs> <laughs> when he's in the wrestling ring, when he goes to never ever land or wherever it is that he goes and the end I want to be thrown around in the chair and have like the popcorn smell wafting through and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah I'd like to see um, American Psycho as well good choice um, I had a real hard time reading the book going back to the liter- literary adaptation I read it on the um, when I was uh, on the way to and kind of when I was bumming around in New York and I really struggled to read it. It was a difficult read for me. I don't know why. Um, and I'd like to see a triple header starting with Unbreakable. So doing that that um, that now trilogy um, as a triple header 
Um, but yeah, unbreakable. Um, it's not many moments you get that pop anymore. Sorry for sorry for the like wrestling term there, but at the end of um, at the end of Split, when you had Bruce Willis, and I hadn't even clicked that this was even like a sequel. Mm. Um, there was a genuine pop moment. I was like, "Oh my god, that was incredible!" And you don't really get that anymore, and I, and that, I have fond memories of that, and that's why you know I want to see the trio as a as a whole piece. That's a good call. And actually, you saying that reminded me of when I saw Unbreakable at the cinema, and that the revelation when you realised that it was all Mr. Glass was behind mm. all of it, and I, I do remember like audible gasps in yeah. the auditorium, like. That's not something you get now, especially because I'm I'm always just sitting there trying to work shit out that it, it's yeah. never that surprising. So it was yeah, that I'd love to be able to experience that again. And that's a really good call. Speaking of 4DX, so when I went to see um Fast yesterday, that 4DX is the most gimmicky piece of shit. Ever. <laughs> it's utterly, utterly pointless. I thought you'd be a good one to be to see Fast and Furious on one of these chairs that will move as the car moves. But all it does is the chair seems to sway side to side and then it will burst like some air by my ankles. If I'm driving a car, if that action takes place, I'm going to be really fucking worried. So like none of it made any sense. It was was really off-putting, especially when on the scene, like you've got these constant cuts from all of the action that's going on. You're trying to follow it and hold on to your chair so you're not fucking flung out of it. Like I'm, I'm never going to see another film. <laughs> see what's happened here is some some Mr. Bean type has adjusted the um, the velocity of your seat, like in the absolute <laughs> classic Bean, the Ultimate Disaster movie. <laughs> That's obviously what's happened. And what, what exactly what did I say would happen when he when yeah. he said he was going to do this? Yeah, and I said you'd be wearing a neck brace going to watch a fast film in 4DX because it was a stupid plan all along. It was ridiculous. But um, I thought if I'm going to experience it, this is the type of film I want to experience it on. It's not though. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't work because it's not made for it. It's just adapted for it. And so when you go and watch films that are being adapted, adapted for 3D and it's just pointless. It's not, you don't get the depth from it. No. It's, it was one of them. When we watched Rogue One, I watched Rogue One and I watched It. Yeah. Both of them were incredible in 4DX. Just because it was made for it. And like with, with ships and stuff where you're going down and you're leaning forwards and you get, you're panning sideways. For that kind of thing, it was it was brilliant. And then you had the the laser things coming from the back of your ears, from the, um, the jets coming at the back, and then mm. the water coming from all over the place. For that kind of thing, when it's programmed for it properly, it works. You can't watch if you want to watch a film properly. Don't watch 4DX. Yeah. But if you want, if you want to be bashed up, like I said that you would be, <laughs> go and watch it in the most ridiculous film of the year. Mm. I, I knew I was going to hate it before the film even started. <laughs> the second trailer was for um, the new James Bond film, and they did the motions during the trailer. And immediately, I just sat there and was like, mm, okay, do I sit through this fucking film? Because this is going to get on my tits. Someone walked out within the last, oh, there's about, about 20 minutes left of the film, and someone walked out because they just they'd had enough of it. This couple just got up and fucked off. 
I completely get it. It's it's not a nice experience. But that that's another. We've had quite a few sidetracks this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my choices. So I've gone for one that was like big and dumb and fun, and one that I just think is a really great story that I'd love to see given another shot. Uh, the big dumb fun one is Bring It On. And I think that'd be excellent on the biggest size screen you could get with all this cheerleading bollocks that's going on. And that'd be a really, really good fun movie to watch on a big screen again. And the other film I'd like to see is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The oh, Coen yeah. Brothers film. I-, I love that movie. I didn't see it at the cinema at the time, but I'd love to see it because I remember it's got this sort of this grainy, sepia-tinged filter to it. And I'd love to see that on the big screen with the best possible soundtrack, with perfect uh, sound systems and great visuals. I think Oh Brother, Where Up There would be a a great movie to watch. And I still can't believe it's 20 years old. No, that was the one that I had a triple header with um, Three Kings and something else. I can't remember what the other one was. It might have been Desperado, you know? So it's a George Clooney trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. But yeah, oh, that, that's, that's mine. I was I was convinced he was going to have Dude, Where's My Car? Hmm. I, I do kind of love that film. It's, <laughs> it's atrocious, but I, I do like it. <laughs> uh, when I looked through the list, there weren't many that really sort of sprung out at me that I thought I'd really like to see that in the cinema. I thought maybe Urban Legends, but I think it's the third one, and I don't even know if I've seen the third one. I've got a I, I really enjoyed the first one. Good movie, but I I like that kind of teen slasher horror nonsense. But yeah, I haven't seen the third one. And maybe Billy Elliot, I think, would be quite a fun film to see on a big screen again. But there weren't many that really grabbed me from that time period, unfortunately. So that's us done for another week. Next up, we've got something a little bit different because we've next week will be the first week of July. We're going to look back on the last six months or the first six months of 2021, and we're going to be giving it a half-time report. So let us know what you've enjoyed in 2021 so far. You can get in contact with us on cagefightingpod at gmail.com, or if you'd rather tweet us, it's at cagefightingpod. If you can let your friends know that you've been listening to us, that would be fantastic. And also, if you can make sure that you subscribed and left a review, we would truly appreciate it. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys and gals. Look after yourself. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? See you later, peeps. Love you all. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. So welcome back. It's me and Stu here. Matt obviously doesn't want to talk about Fast and Furious ever, and he hasn't seen this one. So... Stu, what were your initial thoughts? Did you enjoy it? Did you not? Good, bad, indifferent? I think I went through every every single emotion in the in the <laughs> space of the, the two and a half hours of whatever it was. So it I think this absolutely justifies my hesitance of watching any trailer ever. Yeah. I completely get what you're saying there, totally. Because I came out I came out afterwards and I I just had a thought. I thought, well, there was not really much of a film here. <laughs> it was a, mm. uh, and I'm kind of guessing that the best parts were in the trailer. And I watched the trailer, and yet yeah, it was just ruined the whole film. <laughs> yeah, I was looking forward to it, and 
I, I like you know how much I love these films, even though they're kind of stupid. They they're always good fun, and I never really felt that this was that fun at the end of it. Personally, I think it sorely lacks the rock. Like he's been the best thing about the second half of these of this series. And him not being there really hampered the movie. It was all pinned on Vin Diesel, who I do not know how he's an actor. <laughs> or a singer. <laughs> or a singer. Like There was one scene where he was talking to little B, his son Brian, who calls the fucking kid Brian in these <laughs> days. He's talking to him, and he's got a smile on his face, and his eyes are closed, and I'm like, you're supposed to be looking at him and... But, You've just got so much fucking meat on your head that you can't open your eyes. He couldn't emote. Like, he was awful in this movie, Vin Diesel was. Really, like, dog shit bad. I thought he was actually in in better shape in this than he was in 8, in a weird way. Um, <laughs> but then he he said that he, he... Is that the trade-off? That he spent all that time yeah. working out and not looking like he's got a, a dad bod or whatever? But, oh, yeah, I mean, it, as soon as it started, and they're telling to get in the box. And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, she, mm-hmm. I don't know why she was, well, we, we know why she is in it, because she has to be in it, because it's the family. But yeah. this film could have been about four of them. Yeah, quite easily. They could, they, them two could have easily just stayed away. If it had been... Okay, just leave them, and it, but then you would have been on the same thing as Hobbs and Shaw and calling it Fast and Furious presents because without Vin Diesel you can't have a Fast and Furious, can you? And it's out. Yeah, yeah. But I thought them two did nothing of any real note other than the whole the whole brother thing was just shit. It really, Weird it really and, pissed me off. Yeah, because it, it it was it felt so shoehorned in, didn't it? Like there was no reason for it. It served no purpose. Because we've got we've gone twenty years, and not once has either of them mentioned having another bro- having a brother. Mm. And you think, okay, this is it's obviously someone's come up with this idea, and they've kind of retrofitted everything back. Yeah, and because I did wonder, I thought, well, why are they playing this old Universal thing for? And then it came up, nineteen eighty, wherever it was, mm. and I thought. The look of the younger versions were, did okay. I thought they were all right. Yeah, that the kid who was Vin Diesel, a twenty-year-old, whatever he was supposed to be, looked and sounded like a young Vin Diesel. Yeah, I, thought... I was quite impressed with him, and that's how bad this film was. I was impressed that someone looked like someone else <laughs> <laughs> and probably acted better as them than the yeah, actual person yeah, involved. Definitely, so, and it's always nice to see Michael Rooker in anything at all as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What did you think of John Cena? Is that John Cena? Is it, does it what's is it his hair? Is that is that what's different, or is it because his face looks different as well? It's like he looks old. He looks like he's aged a shitload since he's left the wrestling. It looks like his he's like his face has been stretched downwards. <laughs> he's got like a bit of a hang dog look yeah. to him now, hasn't he? Yeah, it's it's weird. But like at, at no point throughout the film did I think. He's not going to end up being a good guy at the end of this. It really spoiled it because, like, you could tell the face turn was going to happen at some point in the movie. So when it did, 
it just felt kind of nothing. I'd have been happier if he just stayed a villain throughout the movie. It was just like a rehash of eight. It was. Where yeah. he turn he turn it's almost scene for scene. He gets he gets free. So mm. when Dom gets free with the um and with the submarine and then comes rushing in to save the day as Jacob gets free, then come goes away, then comes back to save the day. So we can beat for beat. It's exactly yeah. the same film. You know, it even had so in eight, I think it's eight, the rock is with his daughter in hospital. And the rock fucks off and leaves her on a road when there's a terrorist task going on attack going on outside. And Dom does the exact same thing with his kid. Yeah. Like rather than making sure his kid's gonna be okay, he fucks off and leaves him. Like, come on, you're supposed to be like a caring father figure here and you've just abandoned your child. Yeah. I ha- oh awful. Um shut carry on, yeah. Cause I mean in Roman Roman and Tej, the things that save this film, as as usual. Yeah. And that whole thing, um, him just putting his hand out, and even from the very start, and it's just got one of them faces in there that you just, just looking because you know the character so well that you just laugh at him straight away every yeah, time. Yeah. But with, I think without them, this would have absolutely died on its ass. Yeah, it would have stunk. I mean, it stunk anyway, but it, it would have been really, really bad. Yeah. Um, Charlize Theron, she must be fucking delighted to have got paid money to have done what she had to do in that film. She was in it for all of three minutes, maybe. What an absolute waste of a really strong, talented actor. What's the same as Helen Mirren as well? She was in it for... I know she got to finally drive a car, which is what she asked for in that Jonathan Ross interview years ago. <laughs> Yeah, that's the only reason she came back, yeah, isn't it? That, that was, but there was there were funny moments in it like that. Um, mm. But yeah, Shelley's Theron was in a box, in a David Blaine box with some lights around it. I don't know what they were doing, yeah. um, other than for a bit of framing. <laughs> but and the, the guy who looks like a shit Daniel Brawl. <laughs> he did, yeah. And I like, whenever talk, all them Star Wars references, what what's this about? I know, obviously, we got Hannibal. The payoff. Yeah, we're called yeah. to Hannibal anyway, but it's all a bit, well, are you kind of mentioning this because of the solo film or and the casting that could have happened for that? Or it was just all a bit, there was just too much weirdness in it. It didn't fit, it felt like a cash grab, which is what it, mm. but then at the same time, because I mean, when you go straight into the action from, they get on the plane, oh yeah, Dom's on board as well, so it's all got to be great and everything. And then you get to the absolute madness of <laughs> Roman suddenly being a super soldier and managing to kill everyone. <laughs> Which I that, that was the highlight of the film, I thought, was the, yeah, when they got to the plane crash and everything was going on. I, I quite enjoyed the fight sequences around that part of it. That, that was probably the best bit for it, I felt, personally. Yeah, because you got all the um, which weirdly enough, after watching the the Forza Horizon Five trailers, where they are in Mexico in June buggies jumping over things and going through water, which is pretty much like this scene was, although it wasn't Mexico, but probably was filmed mm. there. Um, a lot of that, having not seen any of the trailers, I was just transfixed with it as usual because it mm. the the action sequences are always stunning, and then the blow the bridge up. <laughs> 
<laughs> when they blow that bridge up, like a car cannot outrun a falling bridge, <laughs> and. And once the bridge has fallen, which it did, it cannot climb up the fucking ladder that is left. Like, even by, even by Fast and Furious standards, that was too much. Yes, that 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 cross that they jumped a shark. Like well, they, they've definitely jumped the shark at this. I don't point. think there's any sharks left in the ocean after this. Because <laughs> I mean, you have you have cars climbing up shit up. up half bridges that have turned into ladders that are on the on the side of cliffs. Then you have the slingshot manoeuvre. <laughs> Which is, I, I, I didn't again I'm lost for words because I don't mm. I don't even I mean at the bridge thing I laughed at. But the slingshot yeah. I was just sitting there just aghast at what what have I just seen? Because mm. you wouldn't see this I know we we we've talked about Neva Speed games before. And like Matt's playing payback now, and even in games, this would be stupid. But it's just gone. It's just gone beyond now. It, yeah. And I thought, well, if the, if they've done this in the first twenty five minutes, then what's the rest of the, t- the next two hours going to bring? Well, space. Yeah. Like that, that's literally where they have to go to make it that much more. They had to go to space. And they somehow took, was it a fucking Pontiac? Yeah. It was the car that they took into space and crashed into the ISS. Like, what the fuck? A, a Pontiac, <laughs> a Pontiac with duct tape and <laughs> some rockets by the guy from Tokyo who's only been in, the, been in one film and I think Fast 7 for about two minutes. I, I had no idea who he was. I'd completely blanked on this character. And right at the end, when he comes face to face with Han, I was like, do these know each other? Like, where the fuck is this dude from? I was completely confused. This is it. This is why I, I watched all of them back to back in the, well, yeah. one a week over the last so many, so many months. Just because, and Tokyo Drift being what I thought was the shittiest one before this. Um, <laughs> Obviously, he's the main character that in that film, but without a beard and a lot younger. <laughs> so, it, mm. if you were if you hadn't seen Tokyo Drift for a long time, I don't really blame you for not knowing who he was. No, it's been at least at least seven years since I've seen Tokyo Drift, so I had no clue, none at all. Yeah, and probably about four, four or five since seven. Mm. So. And then you had only that that whole little "Who's Dominic Toretto" line. Okay, that's, that's quite funny. That's mm, a, yeah. Saving the world countless times. So but, you've just said there until this film, Tokyo Drift was the worst one. Is is this the worst Fast and Furious movie? I don't think there's any question about it. It's got to be. It was absolutely shocking. It was, <laughs> but. I think it, even worse than two, because it, I, it's it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. Magnet. We'll get onto the magnets later. But <laughs> so you go from so you go from slingshotting across a bridge that after the talking and Letty's talking about was that was Jacob, wasn't it? Who the fuck's Jacob? Yeah, never been mentioned before. 
<laughs> and if that it could have been anyone, it could have literally been any. It didn't have to be John Cena. Mm-hmm. It brought nothing to it other than a bit of a wrestling cliche fight at one point. Yeah, but the the flash I thought the flashback stuff was just dragged out to fuck. Yeah, it was. It I understood why they started the film with it because it was a good way to set the scene. I thought, okay, fine. But they kept going back to that well time and again. It added nothing. It didn't really give any context that couldn't have been shown in the main story of the film anyway. It was just too long. Whereas when you look at like uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, their use of the flashback yeah. was perfect. And that's what they needed to have done here. Yeah, That's the big difference, I think. that One added context, the other just added a runtime. That was it. And was Street Racing and NOS... Using NOS and big thing in the late eighties, early nineties, because I know yeah. trying to trying to get a bit of logic out of this nonsense. It's uh, as soon as they started there, I thought, well, that seems massively out of place mm. straight away. This this yeah. seemed a very much skater boy late nineties kind of thing, and that's another Avril Lavigne reference. Um, <laughs> that kind of era. They're kind of like air walk shorts kind of thing. Not late 80s. So I might be wrong. Obviously, we we don't have it here. So it's the LA, yeah. LA car scene of the late 1980s, early 90s, not our bag. But yeah, I thought it was just that there was no need to keep going back to it over and over again to show a bit more. I mean, we know that he, he, he beat the guy up who killed his dad because that was said in the first film. Mm-hmm. Which I thought, oh, that's a nice touch, actually showing you how it kind of comes about. But then, yeah, like the rigging the rigging the the, the lines and stuff, and then making that a turn as well. Mm, just why pointless? Really. Yeah, just why? I mean, you, you've you've kind of framed him saying that he's he's the villain, the intentionally killing his dad, and then when you make trying to make people feel sympathy for him at the end, oh no, his dad asked him to do it, and it was a part of a scam to get money because he was in debt. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> but saying this, <laughs> saying all this, it was still funny. I I did laugh at parts, but not, not because I was supposed to, just because they were so bad. Like the... Um... Oh, where do we get to? I, I even lost my train of thought now. <laughs> I'm getting so mad about it. Um... <laughs> So we got to yeah. So we'd gone past the um, you know, the whole Mister Nobody stuff. Which again, why was he? Uh, you got to presume that he, he had something else on, otherwise he yeah. would have been in this film as well. Mm. Um, but I, I like the, the little nods back to things in the past. That was nice, but it was just really, really dragged out in the middle, and I, I didn't quite lean into my pocket to check the time. But I was so tempted to, just because I thought, well, there can't be much longer left, surely. Mm. It just seemed, it was just filler. I know it's the, it's the longest one, but this could have been two hours. Yeah, it, it did feel like I could quite easily have been sat in there for four hours. It, it felt that long in part. That not much was happening and it was just plodding along. It wasn't a pleasant experience, generally speaking. I didn't feel with this. Whereas all the others have just been uh, just a ride, like they've just 
that they've been what you expect of a film about cars. Yeah. But this wasn't at all. And watching watching it now with fresh knowledge of the others and fresh memory of the others, it's nowhere, absolutely nowhere near. Mm. It's, yeah. It's a, I'd go as far as to say this is even worse than the Need for Speed film. <laughs> <laughs> that is really scraping the barrel. IMDb currently has this film at 5.3. I think it is the lowest rating of all of the uh, Fast films. So the first Fast and Furious somehow has a 6.8, even though it's absolutely terminal. Um, I don't think... Hang on. Tokyo Drift has got a 6. That was the next worst film. Tokyo Drift at 6. So it does appear that most people agree with you that it probably is the worst one of the bunch. Yeah, well, it's even even because Mark's seen it tonight, and yeah, he's texted me. Yeah, um, it's the first Fast and Furious I haven't even enjoyed. It mm. just wasn't good. There's always at least something that you can pass as believable, but nothing in this one. Sorry, it was crap. Trailer showed literally everything in the action sequences. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the kind of sums it up. I mean, you got the, the kind of. The things when they find the magnet, the, mag- the first magnet car, and then you have the things with the um, the Tej and the turning it on and off with his uh, <laughs> Roman's food. Yeah. Well, the gags with that, and I thought that the sequence in um, Edinburgh was superb. Mm-hmm. It was really nice because I've spent quite a bit of time in Edinburgh over the last decade, so it was lovely to watch it. I thought, oh, I know where that is. If they just go around the corner. But the problem with knowing where they are, you'll see them driving down one street yeah. and they'll turn. And you're like, that's not there. That's the other side of the city, mate. So, But it was nice to see yeah, Edinburgh. I think like the city looked fantastic. They did a good job shooting around there. Yeah, and, uh, so that, that was that was the highlight of it. Other than Age of... No, it's not the comedy. Is it um, Infinity War? That's the, yeah, the only... when you see... The yeah, only time you've seen um, Edinburgh in film, really, like that, and Hawkeye wasn't it when when we find Hawkeye again? Yeah, yeah. My, obviously, I've said before, my cousin lives in Edinburgh, so and I have I've never been there because she went there and then well this happened, so and I've, I've never had a chance <laughs> yeah. to visit her. But yeah, I thought the, the whole Edinburgh sequence was superb. Um, mm. I thought she was she was really good as well. Well, I can't ever think of a name. Um, Having weird, different braided hair this time. Oh, Natalie Manuel. Yeah. Um, I can't remember a character name. I've already forgotten. <laughs> Miss Andra from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, because uh, she seemed to be kind of she warned into the last one, where as after being saved. Whereas mm. in this one, she did seem actually part of the team. That, that was yeah. one good po- point about it. But yeah, when, when you go from Edinburgh and. <laughs> all the stuff with the van. And I thought that, like I said, them set pieces were really good. But then the, the whole, them two in Tokyo, like, why? That was stupid. I mean, that brings us on really to Han. Why bring him back from the dead? Like, what purpose did he serve in that film that couldn't have just been served by the girl he was looking after? She was the important part of it. She didn't really need anybody looking after her. It, like his return, it made no sense. It was pointless. It added nothing good to the film. Yeah, and it, it now kind of ruins 
seven and eight. <laughs> because yeah, he does. Yeah, they'd already retrofitted his death anyway to get the stay thing. Mm. But now, well, I don't know because was would he have been in on it as well then? I suppose maybe that's because now you, you're turning it around and saying uh, possibly. Oh, was he? Was he no? Because he'd gone rogue, but had he gone rogue undercover? <laughs> so they've they've tied themselves off in so many knots now because they were obviously when he said the art of illusion or whatever bollocks he came out with. Mm. He looked like he'd killed him, so I don't know. It just seemed it just seemed completely. It almost seemed like okay, this is the last one. Hans Hans not actually dead. Here you go. Nice and nice happy mm. ending for everyone. I didn't obviously not seen anything any promotions, even though he's in, he's on the poster, so it wasn't even a secret. Yeah. When you're doing something like why put him on the poster? Fuck's sake. He was he was like midway in the trailer. If you saw the trailer, you knew he was back. Like, why would you ruin such a big surprise? Yeah. So for me, like, for me, it was a surprise, and this is why mm-hmm. I, I never ever watch trailers if I if I. Unless I kind of glimpse it first and then I don't know what it is. Because I was genuinely shocked. I mean, I, I, it makes sense now why I was the only one who went, oh, wow. <laughs> and everyone else in the in the full screening was perfectly fine. Mm. But how they went around the houses to explain it all, I thought, oh, come on, lads. This is just... Convoluted as fuck, yeah. wasn't it? I think it just... The whole thing was just a bodge job of just getting another one out there when they could have, there must have been a better script than this. There must have been a better idea than this. It's got to have been, got to have been. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the future, because I think that they're going to be filming 10 and 11 back to back. I'm kind of hoping that the future is going to be bringing Hobbs and Shaw back into it and just ending the storyline now. It's gone on so long and it's, it's gone so ridiculous. I just feel that I want an end point to this whole charade now. And I think they need to by bringing back the rock and the staith. And I think we've got the stinger at the end, the mid credit scene with staith and uh, meeting up with Han, didn't he? So I'm kind of hoping that that's where they're going to be going in the future. Anything that you would like to see in the future? I think, them meeting up at the end it kind of gives it what I what I said earlier about he must have been in on it. Hmm. Because it didn't look like, oh shit, you're alive kind of look. In those beating beating someone to a pulp in a in a in a bag like that was again superb. I love Statham. So good. But that's something that they could quite easily just I know we, they are making two more, but do that. And then leave it as it is, and just carry on with Hobbs and Shaw for years on end. I'd be more than happy with that, to be honest. Yeah, because that was an exceptional film for what no one expected at all. Mm. And but it's just gone. I mean, from rope swings from bridges to then electromagnets that can pulse outwards as well as inwards, which magnets can't do. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm. as soon as it, I thought. They're not going to turn it the other way. And they did. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, didn't make any sense there. And then (laughs) the space stuff. 
Well, you told me, where do you go from Moonraker? We're bombed. As soon as, soon as you got Roger Moore in space, fight your jaws. Well, there you go. That's it. That's it. It's, it's game over. It's what, what can you possibly do now? Uh, obviously. Yeah, there's, there's no topping it. Is that it's as far as you can go. Because even that bit where he, he <laughs> throws the um, that silly tank on wheels <laughs> lorry thing into the plane. And I thought, oh, mm. she's gone. And then it's a drone, and she's still alive. Yeah. You think, oh God. So that's an, she's back in another film now. Mm. She's going to have to earn her money in the next one. I imagine she'll be the big bad in the future, and that'll be the end of the saga. Yeah. Here's hoping anyway. But yeah, we, but even after slating it for God knows how long, I still really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did, if I'm being perfectly honest. I came out feeling a little bit let down. But I, I, I don't know. I just wanted a bit more. I wanted something. It wasn't fun enough to be that stupid. Like you need, if you're going to be dumb, you need to be fun. Yeah. And it, it wasn't that. It just lacked that bit of fun for me. Yeah, that's completely fair. I think, I think the test now is in six, eight months time or whatever it is. I've got them all on Blu-ray. I ain't going to buy this day one. No way. No. I'll, I'll get it. Probably you can get it on eBay for a, a, a fiver, maybe just to complete mm. the set um, and watch it before the next one. But I ain't spending hard. What's it harder? I ain't spending full price on this because it doesn't. It does deserve it. It's not warranted. And no. you look at the the last th- seven is the best one. Seven is the best one for mm-hmm. me easily. Eight decent. Hobbs and Shaw. Excellent, then this is absolute shocking. It's real dirge. I'm, I'm amazed how it's just dived off a cliff at this point. Like they know the formula, it's not a difficult formula to replicate, yeah. and yet they, they got it so wrong. And just so wrong. I mean, it's almost like the, the telegraph at the amount of cliffs they actually did dive off. <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> Right, I think we'll leave it there because we've uh, waffled on for nearly half an hour of this. (laughs) So, lovely. Thank you once again for joining us. Let us know what you thought of Fast 9 and we'll catch you next time where we're going to do our half-term review. Cheers.